Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we're talking to somebody I've been wanting to have on the show for a long time. It's Lee Rocker, bassist for The Stray Cats. Now, Lee has a ton going on. As most people have heard, The Stray Cats recently announced that they were going to be reforming for a new album and a new tour in 2019 to celebrate their 40th anniversary. So we discussed that. There aren't a lot of details he can share. I understand that. They're still sort of being ironing, being ironed out. But um, that is happening, and he seems very excited about the new music they're making. In addition, next month, in December, he's putting out a new solo album and DVD called The Low Road, and there's a pledge music campaign associated with that. In fact, you'll notice in the notes to this episode, there's a link. If you want to donate to the pledge music campaign, just click on that link and make a donation. So he has a lot going on right now to talk about. We also get into the early days in, of their you know, rise to fame in London. We talk about his time with Phantom Rocker and Slick, that side project he did. We also talk about you know, the state of his solo career and what the dynamic within the Stray Cats is like. We discuss some of the lesser known songs or lesser known albums that have been put out by the Cats over the years. Anyway, I love this band. I pretty much grew up on them. They were one of the first formative bands that really turned me on to music when I was a little kid and I've always been curious what Lee's story is specifically. Now I gotta tell you the audio on on this unfortunately is a little rough. As I've mentioned before when a a guest insists on calling me I have to use the tape call app on my phone which used to be really reliable and the last few times I use it it there's kind of this buzz going on in the background every now and then well, it's, it seemed especially bad talking with Lee, and I feel terrible about it. I don't know what else to do. I don't know why it happens, when it's going to happen. Sometimes it's perfectly fine, and sometimes it's not, and I don't know why or when or what to do about it. So anyway, I wish the audio on this was better. I'm really sorry that it's not, but I hope you get some good stuff out of this conversation anyway, and if nothing else, you're reminded that the Stray Cats are awesome. Okay? So he called me from his home outside of L.A., I probably shouldn't bury the lead here. I mean, not only are you working on a new live album that's going to be coming out in December, but maybe even a bigger deal than that is this new reunion with the Cats and supposedly new album that's coming out next year. We don't have to spend a ton of time on that, but can you give us the specifics about this? How did this even happen? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, I actually just got back from Nashville, Tennessee, a couple of days ago. And we just finished working on the first new Stray Cats album in 25 years. So pretty monumental stuff. It is not titled yet, and uh, there's not a release date as of yet. But I definitely can say that uh, 
It's all original, new music, and it's just a kick-ass record. Uh, nice. Super, super happy with it. We all, all three of us are. And it Good. was a blast to do it. We sort of recorded very much like we did when we first started, in just in terms of good techniques and liking and, and really capturing what it is that the Stray Cats do, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, inventing it in the studio. It really is... Uh, it was a cool process and and relatively quick, like much of the Stray Cats records, we recorded it in about two weeks. So that was a blast. The new Stray Cats album really came about by the summer of 2018. We've always been in touch with each other, you know, mm-hmm. we grew up together, you know, since we're 10 years old. But this last summer, we decided to do uh, a couple of festivals. So mm-hmm. we did two in California, one in Las Vegas, and one in Illinois, and Castle Fun and mm-hmm. see how it goes and see how how much we enjoy it or not. And, uh, yeah, right. And it was a blast. So we said, you know, sure. one thing leads to another. We go, you know what, man? We got to uh, we got to take this hot right out for steam, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's great. You know, you guys, I've thought over the years, have always been really intelligent about how you go about reunions because, as I mentioned, I talked to a lot of people for this show mm-hmm. that um, had a moment, you know, they, all musicians' careers, Ebb and flow in terms of like big success and kind of leaner times, but a lot of them. I'll give you an example. I uh, spoke with Tony Brock recently, who was the drummer for the Babies, and the mm-hmm. Babies are back out there. They're doing it, but of course John Waite isn't in the band. And he was saying that they get tons of offers to do these really you know high paying gigs around the world, and it doesn't. But John Waite refuses to do it. I'm not. I love John Waite. I'm not trash talking him. But it just seems to me, I can understand, you know, permanently getting back together forever. That might be difficult. But why not get together and cash in, you know, once or twice a year, every now and then, just to keep the brand alive and put some money in your pocket? Well, and, you know, yeah, let the I fans mean, know you're there still. And why not do that? So I think you guys do this really smartly, actually. Thank you. And, you know, we don't really operate on a plan ever. It's really just really? Sort, of what, sort of what feels right. And the Stray Cats are a, a unique band. Mm-hmm. It's a trio. It's a partnership. There's three of us. Uh, like any long-term band, you know, I mean, that that can be uh, tough to put things together. Fortunately, and the reality of the situation uh, with all of us with the Stray Cats is we're all fine and successful and mm-hmm. touring and recording. So we're doing it, and over the years we do it because we want to. Yeah, it's not like oh my god, wow, we got a good offer. Um, right, that really does, doesn't play into it, and that's fortunate for all of us. Um, yeah, but that sort of the dynamic is much more. You know, this, is this the right time? Do we want to do it? Are we uh, any anyone uh, involved in some other project or album mm-hmm. or tour coming up or or life event? You know, I mean, yeah. we're all grown men. You know, and, yeah. And you gotta you gotta map things out, you know. Sure. And then sure. coordinate it between everybody. Right. What was different about this one that made you think that now is also the time then to do new music as well? Because the tours are great. I mean, that's where you make the money anyway. But having a yeah. new Stray Cats album, which no one has had in so long, why was now the time for that? We just had such a good time in 2018 good. doing those four concerts that we figured, hey, if we're gonna go on and continue uh, with some other concerts. I'll tell you how simple it was. It's like, wouldn't it be great to have a couple of new songs to put in the show? 
that's what started it. Um, and then it grew into, you know, well, hell, you know, let's let's do more. Let's do an album. And yeah. we got a, we got a great crew. We got Peter Collins producing it. We got an amazing engineer, Dan uh, Tyre. So we we really got the A team, uh, nice. the beautiful studio in Nashville, and went to do it right. Good. And this coming year is 40 years, so that's kind of yeah. monumental. Yeah. So we didn't want to, you know, we certainly don't want to half-ass anything, you know. Uh huh. I don't blame you. Now, this yeah. uh, when you guys reform next year, is it going to be? Are you going to do just a, you know, a few shows here and there, or is this going to be more of like a national tour? Do you think? Um, we don't have anything confirmed yet. Okay. So I, I really don't know, but I know we're we're all up for playing concerts, but it's a little little early uh, in the process. Okay. Okay. Now tell me about the low road. other thing that you personally have going on right. right now, and I want to make sure we get the word out on this. So you have a, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a live album that you've recorded, and I believe, was this recorded at Daryl's house, his new venue up in New York? Exactly. You know, I'll nice. tell, you, uh, tell you about the Low Road, which is a CD, DVD package, and we're also doing it on this really cool green transparent vinyl. I haven't done an actual album album like a record album in a long time so i'm super excited about that and what the what the record is is these last couple of years i've really developed the concert for lack of a better way of putting it that i've been doing out in performing arts centers and theaters and uh, uh some casinos mainly that that type of a place and the concert is you know whatever 20 songs or something um really cherry-picked from throughout my 40-year career, yeah. whether it be with the Stray Cats, or, of course, you know, uh, there's Rock the Sound, the Stray Cats strut, and uh, yeah. 1617, I won't send any away. Um, but there's also Lee Rocker's solo songs from mm-hmm. my own records, of which I think I've done 12 or 13 of these past years. And then, you know, I've had this career, uh, Phantom Rocker and Slick. Um, yeah. There you go. With Earl uh, Swift and David Bowie and John Lennon's band. Did a bunch of records uh, in the 80s with that. And so basically what I've done is I've looked at everything from my time with Carl Perkins and Scott Moore and, and different musicians I played with. And really, every one of the songs has a, a connection for me, a direct 
reason for doing them. And we rolled into Daryl's House venue uh, in upstate New York, yeah. and I was aware of it. I'd seen the TV show, which was always awesome. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I was aware that they had some really beautiful cameras and, and technicians and sound crew, so the audiovisual stuff. So I uh, had them uh, record the concert of what I was doing, and that became the low road. And, okay. Uh, the film is awesome. Uh, the audio is just flawless. And uh, I'm so excited about having this, you know, this record DVD yeah. come out. Buzz Campbell is on guitar, who's been my right-hand man for a long time. Just an unequal guitar player. Uh, on drums, I've got Larry Mitchell. Uh, and on uh, piano and some guitar and harmonica, that Joey Eights, the number eight. Yeah. All around, all around talent. So I'm I'm super excited and and happy with that, and that comes out in December. That's great. Now there's a pledge music campaign going along with this album. Give us the yes. details on this so that we can support you in all of this. Sure. Um, I don't want to get the link wrong, so I, I want to get that from <laughs> Jeff Keller. But it, uh-huh. it is pledgemusic.com. Okay. We were out there below road, but that enables us to really put together different packages and things where they're signed. LPs available and T-shirts and uh, DVDs and just all kinds of different things. And uh, let people uh, pre-order that directly from us. So that's, that's yeah. a super cool thing. And I'm currently on tour doing what you'd see on that concert video. Sure. Uh, pretty busy between uh, uh, now and New Year's. Nice. So that sort of rolls my 2018 up. Yeah. Boy, you got a lot going on. I, I mean, sure between do. your own stuff and next year's uh-huh. great expectations, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So it's, okay. it's, a, it's a really happy, busy year coming up. Well, good for you, man. You deserve it. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I want to – let's go back to the beginning a little bit. I, I hope I'm not going to ask you questions you've been asked a million times in your life. Um, I try to not go there so often. But one thing mm-hmm. I am really curious about and have always been, actually, is that uh, you guys famously, you know, you form in New York, but you move, how, you move pretty quickly to England. I'm assuming, uh, thinking there's, they're going to appreciate what we're doing over there better than America is right now. Is that kind of the motivation? Well, you know, like, like I said earlier, <laughs> you know, there, there's thought involved, but, but, uh, not a plan, you know. Not a so lot. <laughs> really, really, back then, we started the band in 1979 in Massapequa, New York, in my dad's garage. And we played around Long Island, local bars and pubs, and we pretty quickly, I, I pretty quickly realized, and I think that uh, all of us, I can speak for in this case, that there was a real chemistry and that, you know, yeah. we would have a, an every Wednesday at whatever bar it was, and the first Wednesday, there would be 25 people, and the second, there would be 50, and the third one, there would be 100, and the fourth one, there was a line to the parking lot that right. the band connected and worked. Yeah. And and we knew it musically, and we saw that. And so we played on Long Island with these places. We did head into the city and do Max's Kansas City and CBGDs and right. up to uh, Boston on occasion and down to Philly. And in uh, June of 1980. I was uh, still 17, actually. We, we decided, let's see what's going on in London. And the real, the real reason for that uh, wasn't that we thought they'd appreciate what we were doing more. It was just that 
at that point, pre-internet, uh, we were getting the news from other bands, right? And mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing, CBGBs, what's going on, and we would, you know, the hipster read for the day with the NME and the Melody Maker and these rock and roll newspapers that were yeah. weekly. So we would see them, and they were all about London and what was going on. Yeah. You know, uh, so in June, we just packed up and, uh, you know, bought some tickets for us and a ticket to my upright base and went to <laughs> London. And uh, uh, we got to London and realized we hadn't really thought this through very well. Uh, <laughs> we, just, we didn't know anybody. We didn't really have a place to stay. We wound up sleeping in Hyde Park and all-night movie theaters, which on Three Stooges Night was a good idea, and on Porno <laughs> Night was not as good an idea. But <laughs> with the roof over your head, you know? And things came together quickly, though. We took a leap, and we got yeah. out there, and started to meet people, and they saw, uh, even before they heard us, they looked at set demo, uh, you know, knocking on doors of venues. They saw these three kids, 17, 18, 19 years old, from New York, dragging around a, an upright bass and a big orange guitar and the haircuts. and Right. Uh, you know, and they said, they put them on stage, you know, see what they're yeah. doing. And, and, and it happened quickly. I mean, sure. literally within six months, we had a record deal. Probably within six months, we may have uh, had a hit record. Yeah. Rock This Town, was that the thing that really got everybody going uh, over there? Well, actually, the first one oh, was... Oh, it was Runaway Boys. Boys. Yes. Yeah. Now, was it always rockabilly? I mean, when you got you talk about you guys, you know, forming in your dad's garage. I thought I had heard that it wasn't. You were a different kind of band, or maybe this was the band Brian was in before joining you guys. But it was a different kind of music. He would close out the night with a rockabilly song that tended to uh, get a lot of attention or the, you know really rev up the crowd. And so that sort of pointed the way toward maybe rockabilly being where he should focus. Is yeah, that true? Was, Were you guys always wanting to just commit to rockabilly 100%? Yes and no. I mean, uh, I think it was a very quick evolution towards that, and rockabilly was the roots of what we do, and uh-huh. that did, and still do. But there was definitely uh, other influences, and and still are. You know, and uh-huh. I think maybe the easiest way, I mean, a song like Runaway Boys wouldn't have been written and played in the 50s. Rumbling Brighton wouldn't have been done then. I mean, some things would, some wouldn't. But I think the real thing is that you've got three, you know, unique musicians playing in in this general form of music and putting our own our own stamp on it. 
not yeah. treating it like it's a museum piece, like, oh, here's Rockabilly, it's got to be done like this. You know, yeah. Rockabilly music in itself and rock and roll, for doing the same thing, is meant about breaking some rules and doing things your own way. And that's really sort of just how it's always been, you know? Okay, uh, okay. I mean, when, when, Pres- when Presley started in Memphis with Scotty Moore and Bill Black, and they did Blue Moon of Kentucky, yeah. in their version, the traditionalist country people were outraged. True, yeah. You know, Good I, point. You know, so, so it's always, you know, it's always had a, uh, yeah. how to, but it's, it's always, otherwise, you know, if you're not innovating in some way, it's sort of a little pointless. Yeah, true. And that was, I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing, and I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing when you get over there and you're doing stuff, I don't know that there are legions of rockabilly bands doing the modern spin on it, that you guys are doing it quite the same right. way. And so yeah. it makes sense to me that you're, you're repackaging something classic in a very modern, you know, way that's very appealing to people because it feels new. It's rooted yeah. in about the most classic thing there can be, this old school mm-hmm. rock and roll. But it feels so new and different that it's, uh, it's kind of sexy and it's kind of popular and it's hot and it's happening. And I'm wondering if the record labels, though, when they start coming to you, do they see this right away? Or is investing in a rockabilly band at that moment a risk for them? Like, well, there's not um, a lot of other ones well, like them out there. I don't know if we should do this. Some of them, but I, you know, I can't quite go there because things really came together. It did. By the time they had to you, we had a lot of offers from everyone from Virgin to Arista to Stiff Records. I'm trying to even remember. I mean, we we certainly had a lot of record companies hanging around and running and dining and and making offers, and it all came together pretty quickly. And, and to answer your question, no, there was not, although there is is and was an underground rock and roll rockabilly scene in England, it wasn't at the forefront. It, it yeah. just happened to be part of, you know, the, these teddy boys there since the 50s, they, you, know, you know, living their version of American rock and roll. Okay. It, wasn't, it wasn't the most popular music, but, but London at, at that point was... You know the the musical. Typically, there's there's somewhere on the globe that's you know a incubator mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. for art or music yeah. or right. both. And and in 1980, that spot was London, England. Yeah. And yeah. there was a lot of different. There was Motorhead. There was Tenders. There was The Clash. Yeah. There was the Stray Cat. There were, I don't want to leave people out. There was two-tone band. That's what I was thinking. Exactly. Um, So there was a, a, you know, a whole lot of stuff, you know, similarly, like, you know, at one point, Seattle had that. Sunset did. New York did in the the, uh, 70s. By the time we came along in 1979, 80, the New York scene was not as vibrant as it had been with Blondie and the Ramones. Yeah, that makes sense. When you're over there, I mean... Did you have before you went? Were you did you have an appreciation for British bands specifically? I mean, were you paying attention to? The oh two, yeah, the two tone bands I mean, and new I, wave and uh, all those other things Rock happening Rock, right then. Rockfire was the top of my list. Yeah, okay. Nick Lowe, Elvis Costello. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, 
we like I said from those magazines and uh, yeah. newspapers uh, yeah. and radio. You know what yeah. this and and at that point, what was really going on is like you'd be really cool if you got the imports. So a lot of yeah. these imports they weren't out. Those were the days that you'd have to go yeah. get record shop. And, you know, they'd have them out back or something. Look, we got six of these. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah you and felt like you were carrying contraband. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. Tell us some stories. I mean, I know you were, uh, one of the things that really helped you guys out was being embraced by the Rolling Stones. And I will ask you more about that in a minute, but that whole period that we're discussing right now, that late 70s, early 80s, in Britain, new wave, post-punk, punk, rockabilly, whatever, that is just my favorite time of music. I think I read somewhere or heard somewhere that you guys were friendly, like, for instance, with Adamant. Do you have any Adamant stories for us? Uh, I don't particularly have an adamant story, but we, you know, it, it was a, a vibrant, small scene. And okay. by the time we got there, you know, like beyond, we'd be on top of the pops and, and there'd be, uh, you know, four bands on perfectly British hitmaker TV show on the BBC yeah. that had been on for years. And, you know, I do remember, you know, being on straight with us and adamant and, Motorhead and Susie and the Banshees and, uh, you know, it was just a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of different stuff and, and, uh, Adam is awesome. I just don't particularly, you know, have, have an okay. out, outstanding story. Um, okay. We, we did, and, and interestingly, some of the things that we're going over in talking to you with your, your podcast here, this is what I do to some degree. With my live concert now, my really? opera concert, where yeah. it it is a, uh, and I'm taking a little little turn here on you, but what I do in these performing arts centers and and theaters is do a concert and and tell stories. And That's it. We've got we've got video screen and still photos, and in between songs, talk about some of these uh, some different events and some different stories. Good. You know, and you're, you're asking about those early days in London, and I, I say that I, that I will share is is how we met Dave Edmonds, who was uh, our record producer, yeah, and you know, phenomenal guitar player, classic, that's right. and I hear you knocking, and just you know, all around great guy. He was sort of in a strange way, is uh, was very was very instrumental, yeah, to the, the band and our launch. Because he really captured, he made sure that what we did was captured as opposed yeah. to manipulated or changed. You do your thing. And we met him. This all came about when we were playing the concert at Pistol the Venue. It's a really record deal for us. And uh, we finished the show, you know, and there was someone in our dressing room drinking the vodka and smoking cigarettes. And, and it was Dave Edmonds. We'd never met him before. Oh, and, man. And, uh, we started to talk and, and, uh, and, you know, of course we knew his music and, you know, quoting from the wreckage was something that was I love. Yeah. Uh, and Dave said, you know, I, I know all of these labels are talking to you and a lot of people were vying to be, uh, the producer, uh, including Mick Jagger. And that's mm. one of the reasons that the songs are hanging around so much. And Dave said, listen, I know what you guys do. I know this music. And yeah. if I'm involved, I'm not going to allow the record company to get in there and fuck this up. And that was 
you know, really where that came from is he showed up and, and told us that. And we kept it in mind, you know, uh, obviously it was intriguing to think about Jagger uh, producing the first record, and we were kids. Yeah. And it was awesome, and we were hanging around with, with him and the rest of the guys. And really, we just sort of felt there was this connection with Dave and this dedication. And uh, at least in my part, in the back of my mind, I wondered if uh, if we had gone with Mick doing the record, if it would have taken much longer, or is he going to be off to something else, or mm. lose interest, or fly to Ibiza for, for a month in the middle of it, you know? Yeah. I had never, because obviously, that is the obvious question at the end of this, is like, how different would life have been if Mick had been the producer? And it probably would have come with a maybe, I mean, Dave was clearly the perfect guy for you guys. You go back and you yeah. listen to Rock This Town, and Straight Cat's Drive, and all those hits, he was the man for that. But if Mick had done it, who knows what would have been different. But you're right. Would his full attention have been there and giving yeah. it all to you, you know? He's doing whatever, sacrificing whatever he has to sacrifice to make this record. He doesn't strike me right. as that kind of guy, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, you know? Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not, I didn't know what the future would be, but this is what happened. And, yeah. uh, and I think things came together as they... As it's meant to be, kind of. You know? Yeah, good point. Now, having said that, though, your brain has to be exploding thinking, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards want a piece of me. I'm uh -huh. hanging out with the two rock gods like of all time. They're buddies of mine. They want me. What's going through your mind while that's happening? You know, so young and it's like being shot out of the cannon in a lot of ways that... I don't think it was, it was a lot of fun, because of that. Didn't spend a lot of time analyzing anything. Yeah. You know, myself and, and, and between the three of us tried to come up with some good decisions and what seemed to be the right thing to do. And we worked our asses off and had a blast. And, you know, and, uh, and did the cats 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, from I don't know, I'm terrible with the years, but from probably 1979 to about 1984, yeah. uh, probably a five-year period, you know, of just total intensity and traveling the world and, and nonstop touring, and then started to branch off and, you know, all of us go in different directions a little bit. Right, uh, right. And, you know, spread your wings and, and do some other things, you know, and, like, this is really, I think, the, over, the overall story is how that has advanced them together. Parted. Everyone's done different cool albums and tours and, right. and things. And you know, over over our lives, we come back together when it when it's right. And uh, this is one of those moments that it seems to be right to do that again. What brought on the separation in the first place? Now, uh, let me give you. Let me tell you. When I was, I bought Rant and Rave when it came out. That was when I became more aware of you and seeing all the videos on MTV and everything like that. But I've heard after the fact that that album was viewed as maybe a little bit of a disappointment, which shocked me because that was the thing that, that was the entry point for me. No, no, I, I, no, Rant Ray, definitely, definitely not. Okay, um, good, good. You know, um, and, you know, we did two records in England, uh, not in England, but for Euro labels, we did Cherry yeah. Cast and Gonna Ball. Uh, those two records got sort of cherry picked. 
uh, tracks from it. We added a track. We did Go for Speed, the USA deal. And then Rant and Rave. And, you know, uh, not just selling me all. I may have been, you know, it's definitely a huge selling record and a lot of joy. I think it was just time to to go separate ways. It was really five years, five years of, as I said, a hell of a good time, but a hell of a lot of work. And, yeah. you know, you're, you're attached at the hip to two other guys. Yeah. And you're, and you're devoted to, you know, whatever. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. But personally, I didn't want to just continue exactly like that forever. You know, it, it was a little bit of burnout, I think. Sure. You know, maybe, sure. maybe you know, and I hate to even bother, you know, being a Friday morning quarterback, but, you know, maybe if there was different management involved, they would have said, hey, guys, mm. five years, man, take a fucking yeah. break. Let's take <laughs> a year off or two years, like everyone, you know, do solo projects or whatever, or garden or whatever the hell it is, you know, and then let's reconvene, you know, 20 months from now. Or, uh, yeah. But that isn't what we did. And that's how, yeah. at that point, you know, I went on and did a standing up and slick with uh, yeah. Home Jim and I, and take that out. And I'll flick the two records that I, uh, I love to the day. Uh, so good. It is great. Men without a That makes records and Keith Richards uh song Keith guested on uh my first Phantom Rocking Slick record on a song on the space. Uh Nicky Hopkins with a home some piano player. Good. Yeah. 
you know, did a couple of years of that. Cast together, did a few projects, did some tours, uh, and that's really the story of the the coolest kind of stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah, um, sure. Which is great, you know. And um, I have no regrets and right. no complaints. It's all right. been good, you know. It's been good, yeah, yeah, and it's built the foundation of the rest of your career. I mean, you've been able to. Not that you're just a stray cat from that period. You've proven that you're much more than that, but it gave a foundation for all three of you guys to build careers off of, you know? People it's still like, care about you and okay. what you're doing because of that hate, those heyday periods. Yeah, well, that's, you yeah. know, that, that is true. And that's, that's a, uh, you know, what you start with really matters. Yeah. Uh, as, as a person, as a musician, you know, that's sort of the, that's the way it goes. That's, you know, the first thing you do that makes a mark when you're young and 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 makes a mark on, on people listening to it is what gets sort of, you know, tattooed there. That's the thing that yeah. that's the thing they put on the uh, in the obituary. You know, that's what they start with. Yeah, very true. I was listening actually just this morning to an interview. A buddy of mine named Lee McCormick does another podcast called Tramps Like Us, which is it focuses on Bruce Springsteen, but his favorite band ever is the Stray Cats, so he does uh, kind of side shows about you guys once in a while, and I listened to an interview mm-hmm. just this morning with Bobby Startup, your former friend and manager, and mm-hmm. it was great. He was telling all these great stories about the early days and you guys coming together. One thing he mentioned or alluded to, which I had questions about myself, was that was there... He, he made it sound a little bit like Brian was kind of on one side and you and Jim were on another. And I wondered, I've always wondered, actually, if if the Stray Cats were primarily, uh, if Brian's songwriting prowess and guitar playing mm-hmm. talent was so strong that you were constantly sort of having to defer to him and his wants and needs, or did it feel like more of a democracy while it was happening? No, I don't know what Bobby's plus or not. I mean, I love Bobby. Um, I haven't spoken to him in decades. Um, yeah. <laughs> but no, the band, the band is always, you know, a, a three-way partnership democracy, which is an ugly thing because yeah. all three people have to agree for anything to happen. So, uh, no, I mean, everything we did, we, we would all, just by the nature of the band, have to show up or it ain't yeah. happening. You know, yeah. you know, the... the that kind of control or power simply has to be evenly divided or, you know, what's going to happen if there's a session booked and one of the three doesn't show up? It's not the strike act. Yeah, good point. It's not whatever it is. Um, And we were all, you know, uh, all friends and partners and, you know, some ups and downs and things, but I mean, I've got to say the band band never had any, any downs or or anything like uh, something like you know Fleetwood Mac or something. You know, yeah, like, of course. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no one's ever, you know, none of us ever was horrible right. to each other. Um, right. And that's you know, uh, like I said, you know, it's it really uh, uh, you know, just finished a couple of weeks in Nashville and it was a really, good. Uh, friends, you know, so good. Very uh, okay. Kind and fun with each other. Good. That's a great answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now I got to tell you, I think my very favorite Stray Cat song is Blast Off, which you had a hand in writing. Hey guys, let me break in here for a little bit of a midsection. We haven't done one of these in a long time. I started to wonder whether um, anyone cared about them or 
wanted to hear this stuff, but I've heard from a few of you that you missed them. So I thought, well, what the heck, we'll, uh, we'll kind of get more into it. Uh, let me read a few reviews. We've gotten a few lately, the last few months or so. Billy Hardaway, I love Billy Hardaway. He, um, I've met him at the last, the last two Rock and Pod Expos. Love that guy. Great podcast, five stars. John picks some great people to interview. Even if I don't necessarily like the band the person is from, I still listen to the interviews. That means a lot to me. I really enjoy learning about the industry, and John's interviews get pretty in-depth about the music industry. Thank you, Billy. Love you, man. Uh, Cyberbear. Now, Cyberbear, I'm pretty sure, is Paul Underwood, our friend, and I think he left a review on here before. So he didn't have to do this, but he left the second one. Thank you, Paul. Why isn't... (laughs) Great podcast, five stars. Why this isn't the number one music podcast on iTunes, I'll never know. Thank you, buddy. I'm humbled that you would say that. And then another one, MikeDrums.com. Entertaining and informative, off-the-radar interviews, five stars. I think Mike Drums is Mike Radcliffe, the listener that requested Alan Shacklock, which is one of the most entertaining interviews we've had in a long time. I think, if I have this wrong, I apologize, Mike. I discovered the Hustle Podcast when a friend sent me a link to the Steve Ferris interview, and I was instantly hooked. John is obviously a big music fan, but doesn't come across as a germ? G-H-E-R-M. Germ? I don't know. Interesting. He has the journalistic chops to do a researched, informed interview, but keeps an everyman perspective to it. John really seems to gain the trust of his subjects, and that yields open and honest answers to his questions and some very funny moments. The result is a lot of insight that can't be found on Wikipedia or fan sites. You really feel like you're in the room and a fly on the wall. As a professional musician, I'm glad to hear the perspectives of some of the other guys, the side men and the behind the scenes people who don't get a lot of mainstream attention, but still have great stories and insight to contribute. Thanks, John, and keep up the good work. Thank you, Mike. It is so humbling when I hear these things. Um, I really, really, really appreciate it. Want to give a shout out to some of the people that have shared the last few episodes. Obviously, I haven't done one of these for a while, so I'm not going to go back over months and months. But um, I always want to thank those people who actively share these episodes. Uh, people like Andy Shaw, of course, one of our trusted, loyal soldiers. Keith Milne, Greg Blanchard, Bill Elam, um, Kerry Carlson, of course. I got a really good response to the Joyce Heiser Robinson interview. Um, I may do a few more of those, kind of incorporating maybe the occasional actor or actress if it ties back to a to the uh, musical guest that we have on. I don't know. You guys seem to like these, so I'll probably do a few more. Let's see what I can come up with. Um, as far as Joyce goes, we got The Vinyl Exile, David A. Scudieris. Love you, David. Um, anyway. A lot of good people, a lot of good listeners helping us out along the way. I really, really appreciate it. Now, speaking of help, if you really, really want to help us, you could go buy a Hustle t-shirt. They're still out there. I haven't heard of anyone buying one for a while. Um, But if you go to Amazon and you type in the Hustle Podcast merch, we have t-shirts. There are sweatshirts in there, I believe. And there's also those pop socket thingies that people put on the backs of their cell phones. I, I don't see the point because I put my cell phone in my pocket and that just makes it even bulkier. But they're out there. If you want to buy one of those, my kids have those. So anyway, if that's your thing, 
buy a hustle pop socket thingy for your phone. Why not? Right? I'm not really taking too many requests these days. I've got a lot on my plate already. You're welcome to send them over. And I'll be honest, guys, I'm ha- I stopped I I hadn't haven't kept up on the spreadsheet that I was keeping for a while. And so I have a hard time remembering who requested what. And when I finally land an interview with somebody that I'm afraid somebody requested, I don't always go back and try and figure it and remind myself who requested this person. If it's in an email, that's easier. But if it was like in a comment of a post from months ago, I don't know where that stuff is. So I, I want to apologize blanketly now. If I do one of your requests and I don't name you, I am so sorry. I know that defeats the purpose because I want this to be interactive, but I, I'm kind of overwhelmed with where they all are and where this person came from and where this request came from and did I notate it somewhere and did I get it right? Anyway, I'll do my best, but I apologize if I get it wrong, okay? Anyway, let's get back to Lee. It seems like, though, that latter, the latter half of the 80s when albums like Rock and Roll Therapy come out, which another song of yours that I love is I Want to Cry off that album. It seems like the albums are barely kind of trickling out. You know, they're not, you're not getting as much radio play. You're not getting as much MTV exposure. I don't know if those albums are on like, you know, the end rack of 1A end rack of every tower record and records in the country. Are you noticing taste change? Are you noticing uh, less of a, of an appetite for the stray cats? Or are you still kind of like in head da- head down mode thinking, Let's just keep going. We'll just keep doing well, what we I mean, do, and people will come. Certainly, you know, when you put out a record, you know, aware of how it's doing in the charts, you know, the tide, you know, high tide and low tide, the things, you know, things just kind of go go that way. Um, Blast Off is a record that I love. I think we're very serious about doing Blast Off and uh, album. And, yeah. and I feel like that song in particular, the title track of that is sort of uh, the, the start of what people call psychobilly after that. Yeah. I think, we yeah. Really, I think we really provided the foundation for that that whole sub-genre that has a lot of cool bands. Yeah. Uh, I think that was the opening shot on that and showed a lot of the other bands, take a look at this. This is a, this is something different. Very well uh, said. Therapy was, that therapy was a record that was not as serious. It was covers almost exclusively, yeah. which is fine.
wasn't wasn't a record that that we put out on those years. You know, we weren't aiming for a hit with it. It was just a record of songs we liked. But we're blessed. Up was a serious record in my mind. Okay. Yeah, I um, I like both records a lot, but I I have an affinity for Blast Off, especially that song. And and you're absolutely right. That introduces. I had never thought of that before, but it really introduces psychobilly to the sort of the uh, the dictionary, the lexicon, you know, of what's happening yep. and where things are going. I think you're absolutely right. I want to ask you about Let's Go Faster, which is an I consider myself a pretty good Stray Cats fan, and I didn't even know about this one for a long, long time. And Nile Rogers produces this thing, right? Oh, Let's Go Faster. Yeah, that was it's, produced by Nile. Nile is like one of my very favorite musicians of all time. What was that like? And when you get Nile Rodgers to produce for you, why is this album some obscurity that you can only buy in, like, Japan or something? Why is this not more well-known, you know? I don't know. It was it was an interesting time. I think that we were searching a little bit and maybe in some ways searching a little bit too hard music musically. Um, I just think I like on that record. Nile is an awfully talented great guy. Uh, I loved working with him. I don't think he was the exact right fit for the cat. But that's an odd choice. You know, it and and there was record company involved in that too. Uh Nile okay. had uh, the B fifty twos and I think the label probably had an idea, oh, how can we make this right now? I don't remember what year right now was. Uh, oh let's let's get you know the producer who did this or did that uh, or the other. Uh, and so I think it was more along that kind of a uh, that kind of a situation really. But there's some okay. good stuff on the record and uh you know, it's an interesting for me it's an interesting record because it's really the most different. Very you know, if there's yeah. one that doesn't fit the mold, that's the one. That's the one. I don't feel like as somebody who pays close very close attention to everything Nile does, I don't notice his signature necessarily very heavy-handed on the album mm-hmm. i feel like he allows you guys to keep doing what you're doing he's not there's not you know funk happening behind the scenes yeah, true. or anything like that true. but it is kind of an oddity tell us a, if you have a memory of a song off that album that you're that you have a particular fondness for or a story related to something maybe it's just so weird it's unlike anything it's, else you've Town Without Pity is super cool. And Herbie Hancock's on piano on that. Which is, uh, really? Herbie Hancock yeah. plays piano on Town Without Pity. Yeah. 
Billy Nile could make that happen. You know? Yeah. A lot of a on that record, which was, you know, something that I did, but not as much as with the straight path. And the title that Bernie Taupin wrote the lyrics, so. As long as you yeah, keep on running. Oh, keep on running. Okay, good one. Yeah. That's a great one, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Bernie Taupin. Yeah, you were saying that the record label got involved. When you find out that Nile Rodgers is coming to produce your next album, are you thinking, who is that? Why is that happening? Or are you like, yes, this guy's a hit maker? Well, no, no, we all, we all, we all, you know, agreed to it. I mean, there's certainly no surprises. I mean, we've always been in in the driver's seat with things. You know, I mean, the, the, the label, you know, presented their thoughts and said, you know what, I think, you know, Nile's the guy to do this, and and yeah. here's why, and. You know, we talked about it and thought about it and talked to Niall and, you know, I mean, it was a whole, a whole, okay. uh, whole process, you know? Yeah. Okay. Just curious. Um, now some of your solo stuff is also excellent. I, you know, I had a thought and I've been debating whether to even mention this, but I was listening to the, um, last train to Memphis or night train to Memphis. I keep saying last mm-hmm. night train to Memphis album. There's a track on there, I believe, called uh, So Sad. 
And I have this right, right? Isn't so sad on the night train to Oh, yes, Memphis? yes. Yes. Okay. That's the Everly Brothers tracks. Yeah. Yes, yes. And on your version, there's a there's a subtle female voice, I think, sort of harmonizing with you in the background a little bit. We used to have good times together. And it was really, it, it was really lovely. And I thought, I wonder if Lee would be open to doing something more like this. I don't know if that's, if that's ever been proposed to you or something that anyone's even brought up. But your voice, uh, harmonizing with a with a female voice, sounded so beautiful in that moment. I thought, there's more to there's more to discover here. You know, I could see yeah. you doing a bunch of, I don't know cover Patsy Cline songs or whatever, yeah, right. Lee Hazelwood, you know, something where you get to showcase that part. I thought it was beautiful. Thank you, and, and I appreciate that. And, and it's funny, because that's, you know, we definitely break things down with my concerts, you know, where there is things much more within that direction. Uh, oh, good. You know, we concert that I start off electric and sort of started some of the early days start that strut runaway boys as the show moves through uh, and stories you know we, we go to a section where you know I'm really talking about the birth of rock and roll and uh, Scotty Moore where I work with the Perkins and tell some stories and uh, and we break it down to which is really pre-drums on a lot of those original records we take the drums away we had an acoustic guitar I usually say you know we're going to turn down the lights turn down the volume and turn the clock back um, and then sort of ramp it back up, and I certainly do some Americana music, City of New Orleans, some stuff that's a little bit more like classic American songbook kind of stuff, yeah. and and go through you know that, and that's that stuff that I love. But I was very happy with uh, with Night Train and uh, and those tracks in particular. Good. Yeah, it's a strong album for anyone who anyone who's listening who's less familiar with Lee's solo stuff. It is just as solid in terms of quality and musicianship as all the stuff you already know from the Stray Cats. Um, I think Black Cat Bone, one, that album of yours, probably gets the most attention as being like the key uh, as maybe the best starting point. I would agree. I think that album is really good. When I finally made it back, there were lots on Changed 
Anyway, I just wanted to make sure that people knew there was more to Lee Rocker than just being the Stray Cats bass player. You got your whole other thing going on. Um, right. And speaking of which, that reminds me of something I wanted to ask you about. When you joined up for Phantom Rocker and Slick, you become the front man. And I didn't know if that – I wondered if that was a, a leap for you, you know? if it, uh, Like, I'm, I'm not used to being the front man. I'm not really comfortable being the lead singer here. Or if that was like, yes. This is, I've been waiting for my moment, you know, bring on the spotlight. Well, I'm ready. You know, although, although young, I mean, I, I was always a singer, you know, through garage bands and high school and all of those things. And, you know, so I was always, always a singer and with the straight hat, I you know, always did at least a couple of songs per concert and usually a song uh, per record. So, you know, it was a a bit of a change, but not not really. You know, it was just okay. more more as opposed to being different. Okay, instead of you know me doing these two or three, you know, I'm doing the the, the twenty in terms of as a singer. And I do dig those records. Uh, the the first record is out on CD. Yeah, finally, which is great. Finally, yeah. exactly. And I and I did hear it from a. Uh, a label fairly recently that uh, CoverGirl, the second record, will be getting put together on CD with uh, one of these liner notes and things for it. Yeah, that's not even on Spotify or iTunes or whatever. you got to piece it together on YouTube. Now, let me ask you this. I mean, when you go into, you know, so many bands do these, like, super group things, and they're a lot of fun, but they almost never last very long. 
when right. you guys sort of entered into your own, I don't know if it met your expectations in terms of success. Was it always sort of a side project thing that you were just going to do while the Stray Cats took a break? Or do you think if no, it had no. really taken off, you would have continued down that road for a while? No, I you know, definitely not a sideline. That was the pure 100% focus the next uh, thing. For, for those years in that period. That was really, uh, you know, that was at that moment, that was, that was the focus. That's sort of, you know, uh, earlier in my career, I'd say, I guess, uh, I needed to be very tunnel vision here. I'm doing this. Okay. Now I'm doing that. At this point, I find it much easier and, uh, much better. Uh, I can, I can, you know, uh, juggle two, two things at once. And it, it, yeah. at this point in time, that's the Stray Cats and, uh, and Lee Rocker, uh, okay. being two separate, two separate things. But there was a time that it, uh, you know, that was easy to do, uh, or maybe it was impossible. But now it's not, if for some reason it just seems to be very Good. natural. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I want to ask you, throw in a couple questions. I mentioned my buddy Lee McCormick, who is a gigantic fan of yours. He submitted a couple questions. He's a, he's a listener and he wanted me to, uh, I wanted to throw them at you if you're okay with it. One of them was you that there was, he was curious how long you guys had been together as a band before relocating to London. Um, he had always assumed it had been a little while. I think Bobby, uh, in his interview implied that it had just been a couple of weeks, which came as news no. to him. Yeah, how long had you no. guys been around, been together for the It was brief, but it, was definitely, it definitely wasn't brief. Um, we probably started in, uh, you know, I can tell you that the three of us playing this type of music together probably started in earnest in uh, October of 1979, and okay. we went to England in June of 1980. Okay. So, we're going to Okay. Uh, you know, seven, eight months. Um, yeah. But it, don't, but it predates that by far. We don't feel sure. we're 10 years old. Okay. And we had played music together of different types and varieties and casual yeah. situations or parties or in the living room since we're, you know, high school, you know, I mean, yeah. 14 years old or something. So, yeah, I mean, we we certainly picked up guitars and basses and drums and, and played music well before October of 79. But okay. the band sort of officially became out of there. Is. Playing, yeah, yeah uh, probably I'd say October seventy nine. Okay. Okay. Now, lastly, I wonder, your wife is a fashion designer. I had, this is yes. amazing to me. What? Tell us about your wife. Well, we've been married for my wife's Deborah, and we've been yep. married for thirty years in February. So pretty, also pretty. Good for you, man! A rock and roll marriage yeah. the last thirty years. That's incredible. You and she, uh, yeah, she's a fashion designer at her own brand, Deborah Drucker. She, before that, worked uh, for many, many years with Gucci. And we've got two kids that are, you know, 28 and 26 years old, not kids anymore. Yeah. Uh, my son Justin's a, a musician who does play with me um, often, plays guitar and he plays some bass and things. Right. And my daughter Sadie is a, uh, a painter. She's an artist. And right, she's right. really uh, interesting, cool work that's getting out there in the world. That's great. Good for you, man. It must be Thank so you. rewarding to be to keep your family together, 
your wife's doing well, you're proud of your kids. I mean, what's better than that? You get to be a musician for the rest of your life, you know, professionally, yeah. have a great life. Does it get any better than that? I don't think it does. I'm listening, like I said previously in this, and, you know, I am not, uh, things are wonderful. You know, life is, life's a beautiful thing. And I'm, I'm fortunate and happy. And I get to, I get to do, uh, what I love to do, uh, and when I want to do it, and write and play and sing, and it's it's all really uh, it's an amazing uh, privilege. Yeah, and yeah. that things have worked out this way, and and that uh, you know we sort of uh, I will say one of the interesting things was uh, you know this last summer I told you you know we got Stray Cat coming back with a new record, but the yeah. first time when we played in Las Vegas that was about the first time in about ten years. Uh, live, and you know, me, Brian, and Jim were on the side of the stage waiting to go out. The lights went on for the crowd, and saw you know twenty thousand people there. That was pretty emotional. I bet. That moment before we played. Once you're yeah. playing, it's a different thing. But that was sort of something that I really took in, and uh, you know, really had an, had a an emotional effect on me, and yeah. that was great. And I'm sure everyone, but that's really what. But you know what? We gotta. We should be doing this. Yeah. We don't need to be doing it constantly, but we should. We should be doing this. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, yeah. We love it, and it makes a lot of people happy. Good for you. Sure does. Well, so let me ask you a question relating to that. Um, if it were all to end, you know, if suddenly the market had dried up, no one's interested in the stray cats anymore or rockabilly for that matter. What would be the the What would be the the benefit or the fruit of success that you would miss the most. And you can be, you can be as honest as you want. Uh, I inter- I'll give you an example. I interviewed Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull once, mm-hmm. and I asked him that question. And he said his favorite thing in the world is after a gig, when he gets back to the hotel, he takes all his clothes off, he lays on the bed, watches the news, and drinks a beer. And that is the that is the spoils of success that he would miss more than anything else in the world. <laughs> and I'm curious what Lee Rocker's uh, fruit of success would be if you missed it and it didn't happen anymore. I, it's hard for me to to say what a specific thing is, but the the feeling of accomplishment, I guess, yeah, and okay. the satisfaction and the satisfaction of not only you know, getting out and, and working, but, you know, working with your, with my mind and, and music and sounds, and I, I just find it, you know, ultimately so satisfying. Um, I am not someone necessarily, and, and I get that sense of satisfaction if I'm playing at a uh, venue for 300 people mm-hmm. or... 20,000. It's not yeah. the numbers. It's, it's the doing. I mean, yeah. certainly, of course, it's wonderful to have lots of people. Um, right. and, you know, I mean, that's what, that's what, you know, pays the bills and, and all yeah. of the rest of it. It's great to see. But that feeling, personally, I get that same thing. If I, if I leave a venue, a stage, knowing that I've given it 110%, that, that's, that's really something that, and I do then, you know, go to the hotel, go home and, Personally, I don't eat really on uh, uh, for many hours on on show days. So really, I do that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll make sure 
you know, four or five, six hours uh, before hitting the stage without eating anything. Um, and I am a wine drinker, so after okay. the gig, I definitely have a couple of glasses of wine, maybe a couple more than that, and dinner at whatever time that is. <laughs> okay. Really, that's a fascinating routine. Do you have so you don't eat five or six hours leading up to the show? And when you right. do eat, do you eat a particular thing? Is it like no? And if you do, is it no. a health thing or a superstition thing? No, no it's just I, I'm better lighter on my feet. And yeah. as a performer and a singer, it's just I just feel better. I feel like I, I feel more energy and just more focused for some reason. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, Lee, yeah. look, I got to tell you, I mean, I uh, the Stray Cats were formidable during my adolescent years in sort of turning me on to music and turning me on to what's out there and I love you guys a lot and I'm so glad you've had the success that you have because you deserve it and so I wanted to say thank you for talking to me because you're a legend in my mind. Thank you so much and I, I enjoyed this. Good, me too. Tell us one thing. Now we're going to close this out with a song. Some Normally I pick a song and I play a song that's one of my favorites that people don't know. You tell me. What's one of your what's a Stray Cats or a Lee Rocker song that you're particularly proud of that doesn't get the attention you think it deserves? Well, I would say, um, if you can, I mean, I, I, uh, I'm sure Jeff Keller can get you a copy of The Low Road. Um, I would say, play Bulletproof. We just we just nailed it and we captured what I wanted that song to be. And I just think that it's for me. That's I'm very I'm really happy with that song as a writer as a singer, and I think we really uh, captured what I, what I was trying to do on that one. And especially right. at that show on uh, with the low road, uh, I think we just we nailed it hard. Good. That's what we'll close it out with then. Thank you so much, Lee. I wish you all the best. Thank you. There you have it, Lee Rocker. I've been trying to make that happen for a long time. I'm glad we finally did that. The Low Road comes out in December. And if you want to donate or be a part of it all, it's a CD-DVD combo. Just go to pledgemusic.com. I think it's backslash Lee Rocker. Or you can click on the link that I've provided in the description of the show right here. And you can be a part of it all. Um, and, I mean, how exciting. The Stray Cats are going to come back next year. I can't wait to hear it. Uh, next week, I think, I'm not 100% sure, I think I'm going to go with an interview I did with the lead singer of an excellent sort of power pop new wave band from the early 80s. Um, they're not really around anymore, and they were never that big. They had sort of one big hit. I would put them in the same category as maybe a band like the Plimsolls, one of those kinds of things. Uh, college alternative rock of the 80s. Anyway, that's what I think we're going to go with next week. Uh, you should probably know the deal by now. You can find our page on Facebook, and you can like it, and you can send me a message on there, and you can uh, find us on Twitter, at the hustle pod you can send us an email at the hustle pod at gmail.com we put out new episodes every tuesday there is probably a bonus episode coming out in a few days so look for that if all goes according to plan and a huge thanks as always to my right hand man yan the man makiewicz for all that you do thanks buddy we will see you guys soon I'm gonna